Honor rightly bestowed is incredibly moving. As many of you know, I had the opportunity this past week to lead the funeral service for my father-in-law because Christie's dad, Max Johnson, passed away. So we went down to Mississippi to do that. Thank you to all of you for your kind words and prayers for our family. Because my father-in-law, Max, was a veteran, representatives from the military both opened and closed the memorial with demonstrations of honor for his service in the army. Now, if if you've ever attended a funeral where military honors are bestowed, you appreciate the attention to detail the military utilizes in tribute of those who have served. Whether it's rifle shots or formal salutes from flag folding to the playing of taps, the military does formal honor well. As my thoughts began to transition toward this morning, and our passage, which describes the ascension of Jesus, it got me thinking about what the honor bestowed upon Jesus must have looked like when he ascended back into heaven after offering his life in service to us here on earth. If honor rightly bestowed is incredibly moving, perhaps in no other context would it have been more moving than when honor was rightly bestowed upon Jesus. When he returned to heaven as the ascended king and sat down at the right hand of his beloved father on high. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in the holy place? Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. That is King Jesus. He is the King of glory. Imagine. Imagine what it looked like. Imagine what it looked like in heaven when the Son of God, when Jesus returned to the place of glory he had with his Father before the world began. Imagine what it looked like when the the incomparable and unconquerable King of glory sat down at the right hand of perfect majesty to reign forever and ever. What did it look like when 10,000 upon 10,000 bowed before him and honor was rightly bestowed upon him. Brothers and sisters, may the Holy Spirit fill us with awe and fill us with tremendous joy this morning as we consider the greatness of Jesus Christ and the power of his ascension. Our passage is Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. So hear the word of our Glorious God. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, 
will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Lord, would you lead us now as we consider the greatness of this scene. In Jesus' name, amen. So according to Luke, the ascension is crucial to a right understanding of all that Jesus said and did, to use Luke's phrase. The ascension is crucial to a right understanding of all that Jesus said and did. We know this. Now, we know that the ascension is that important to Luke, and that's how he views it, because the ascension serves as the climax of his gospel and the starting point of his sequel in Acts. In light of this, the main idea I hope to to impress upon your souls this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit is this. The ascension is so important that the gospel would not be good news without it. The ascension of Jesus is so important that the gospel itself would not be good news without it. So let's, let's demonstrate this main point and let's develop this main point by looking at three realities that are true about Jesus as a result of the ascension or in the ascension. One, Jesus is the king who's been enthroned. Jesus is the king who's been enthroned in heaven. Two, Jesus is the priest who entered heaven. Jesus is the priest who entered heaven itself. And three, Jesus is the Son embraced by our Father. Now, if you're a note taker, we're going to leave these up. So just leave yourself some space in between these three statements. Let's begin with the first reality of the ascension. Tim Chester describes the ascension as the enthronement of Jesus as the king of the world. Now, when we look at our Bibles, we say, yes, that's true. Absolutely. That truth is so clear and that truth is so glorious. But when we look at the world, 
we say, uh, that truth seems less obvious to me. In two days, as Mitchell mentioned, we as a nation will be voting to elect the next president of the United States of America. So I, I encourage you to think and to pray hard about this responsibility, to think and pray hard for our nation as families. There are so many implications to this election as there are every single year. But in this case, men are on record about what they will do. There are so many implications to this election with respect to very serious moral issues that we, we cannot say that we did not know. Moral issues like the expansion or restriction of so-called abortion rights or, or the nature of what is taught to our children educationally in terms of the history of our nation or in terms of race relations or in terms of sexuality. These are, these are massive, massive moral issues. Additionally, there are massive other issues to contend with, such as religious liberty. Within the next four years, things might change very dramatically. The issues are so massive and so fundamental that the structure of the government itself, including the Supreme Court, could be impacted by this election. So think and pray hard. Weigh the personal and the, the principled and the practical considerations that will send, almost undoubtedly, that will send one of two men to the White House. For those of us who are believers in Jesus, we can live in peace and we can live with great joy, no matter Who's in the White House? Because our man, our leader, our king doesn't sit in the Oval Office or preside over the United Nations for that matter. He sits on the throne of heaven and presides over all creation. Jesus ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father in the throne room of heaven itself. Because Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, therefore God has highly exalted him. And note, note the tense there. God has highly exalted him. This is something that God has already done in the ascension or the, the enthronement of Jesus. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him already the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whatever the outcome of this election, no, no matter how chaotic things may get, as the people of God, take 
comfort in knowing, based on the absolute authority of the Word of God, that Jesus is reigning. Jesus is reigning from heaven as the enthroned king of the universe until all of his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. Hebrews 10 and verse 13. This is the reason that we can have confidence to resist evil. This is the reason that we can have peace and that we can have joy in the midst of trial. This is the reason that we can go forth in boldness to serve as witnesses into the world, proclaiming the good news about Jesus, warning rulers that Jesus is king and proclaiming the good news of the salvation, the hope that is found in him and in him alone. The ascension, the enthronement of Jesus is so important that the gospel would not be good news without it. Now, as we, as we get into Acts, and I don't just mean our passage this morning, I mean as we wade deeper into the book of Acts, one of the keys to rightly understanding the book will be to understand the difference between two ideas. On the one hand, we need to recognize what aspects of the book are normative, that is, prescriptive, something that we should expect as a, as a normal event or something that the church should seek to do as a matter of practice. On the other hand, we need to recognize what experiences are descriptive, that is, a situation where Luke is describing a unique event in history or within the book of Acts, something that fulfilled a specific redemptive purpose, and now the church really seeks to live in light of its implications. The ascension of Jesus clearly falls into this second category. Much like the atoning death and subsequent resurrection of Jesus, so too the ascension is a one-time event that fulfills powerful prophecy and imagery from the Old Testament. The sacrifice of Jesus was a once-for-all event that atoned for sin once for all time and once for all people who place their faith in Jesus. Now, Matthew tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, when his sacrifice was complete, when he yielded up his spirit, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, symbolically demonstrating that man Man, a human being, could now enter into the throne room of God. That is, into the very presence of God Almighty. In the ascension, Jesus 
is the human priest who actually, literally entered heaven itself, making this a reality. That is awesome. Jesus is the priest who appeased the wrath of God, securing favor for us in the presence of God by offering the perfect sacrifice of his own righteous blood for the forgiveness of sins. Having offered the perfect sacrifice, Jesus then ascended to heaven, entered into the true holy of holies, and stayed there. Jesus walked into the very presence of God without fear and sat down. Do you realize that when Jesus sat down in the presence of the Father, Jesus had completed everything, absolutely everything required to redeem you from your sin. Jesus had completed everything necessary to redeem you from every one of your sins. Jesus completed everything necessary to redeem you from your so-called respectable or cleaner sins to, to the grossest of your sins, from your subtle sins to your more obvious sins, from the sins that everyone knows you struggle with to the sins that no one else knows about but God himself. In terms of your sins, Jesus paid it all. And Jesus paid for them all with his own precious blood. Because his infinitely valuable blood was sufficient to pay your full debt, he sat down. Because his atoning work on your behalf, on my behalf, on our behalf, was complete. So just let that sink in this morning. Spirit of the living God, would you just massage that truth into our souls as we prepare in a little while to participate in communion together. As Jesus enters into heaven in the midst of a cloud. It was a cloud that took him out of their sight. Verse 9. It calls to mind the, the powerful imagery of Moses ascending the mountain of Sinai into a cloud after God had delivered the people from their bondage to slavery in Egypt. Jesus has just delivered his people from their sins. Moses had ascended the mountain on behalf of the people in response to God's command. The people wanted Moses to be their mediator because they had looked at the mountain and seen God's glory resting upon it, and they were terrified. They were terrified by the power and the presence of the glory of God. And they knew they had 
no chance on their own to come into his presence. So they begged Moses to be a mediator on their behalf. Because of their sin, they needed someone else to represent them in the presence of their God, their God who is absolutely holy. So holy that if, that if, that if a beast touched the mountain itself upon which the glory of God was resting, the beast would die. They needed someone who would go into the presence of God, someone God would accept on their behalf. The ministry of Moses pointed forward to Jesus Christ, who is the only true mediator between God and man. Mount Sinai pointed forward to the ascension when Jesus would enter the cloud into the glorious presence of absolute holiness on our behalf. In the ascension, Jesus is the priest who entered not into a a glory cloud on top of a mountain, as awesome as that is. He he entered not into a temporary temple which served as a copy of the Holy of Holies, as awesome as that was. Jesus literally entered into heaven itself, representing us as our forerunner, having made atonement for our sins once for all. He did so by means of his own blood so that we could be Accepted, honored, and embraced by the Father in Him. I hope Ephesians 1 is flooding your mind with all that is filled in that short little phrase. Without the ascension, the gospel itself would not be good news. Now, there's a, there's a curious event that occurs in John 20, immediately following the resurrection of Jesus. Mary Magdalene is standing by the tomb, and, and she's weeping. Jesus is standing near her. And she talks to Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. That is until he calls her by name and says, Mary. And she responds in Aramaic and calls him teacher. Now, just as we might be sympathetic to the men who were standing there staring into the clouds because Jesus their friend and brother, a man, just raised up into the sky and disappeared into the cloud, we likely would be staring also, right? We can be sympathetic with Mary here if she was clinging to Jesus after everything that she had just witnessed. Jesus says to her, do not cling to me. For I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So whether it's understandable to be staring into the clouds or grabbing a hold of Jesus, there is a more important truth 
that we need to understand. In Nottinghamshire, England, there's a church with a, with a series of stained glass windows uh, from the 1300s. And these stained glass windows depict stories from the Bible. The way that they're laid out is that for each scene of the New Testament, beneath that pane is a scene from the Old Testament so that you know how that Old Testament story is fulfilled in the New Testament through Jesus. So, for example, one of the pains is about Naaman being cleansed in the River Jordan. And above this Old Testament scene is a picture of Jesus helping a leper in Mark 1 in the New Testament. Now, two New Testament scenes depict the ascension. One scene is the account of the ascension. It's a picture of what we read this morning in verses 9 through 11. The second scene is the scene that I mentioned from John 20. So we've got Acts 1, and we've got John 20. What two Old Testament verses are shown below those verses, those scenes? It's fascinating to think about what, what verses or what scenes from the Old Testament would you put under those two pictures. Under the first scene, depicting the ascension from our passage here in Acts, is the scene from Genesis 14, 18, where, where Abraham meets the priest king, Melchizedek. Jesus is the true high priest and the only righteous king. As the father said to his beloved son, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, Psalm 110 and Hebrews 7. With the ascension, Keith prayed this just a few minutes ago, if you, if you picked up on it or had ears to hear it. With the ascension, the ministry of Jesus moves from atoning sacrifice to prayerful intercession at the right hand of the Father as he ever lives to intercede for us, Hebrews 7, 25. What's almost impossible for us to understand is that the absence of Jesus for us here in this world, physically, is better for us than if he was physically present with us now. 
because he is interceding for us from moment to moment at the right hand of the Father. And because he ascended into heaven, he sent us the Holy Spirit, not just to stand next to us, but to live within us, to empower us to do the work that he has called us to do, which is precisely what he says will happen. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the the end of the earth. Jesus has a physical body now, and that body is in heaven. But the Holy Spirit lives within us and empowers us to fulfill this great commission. Think about how comforting it is. It doesn't matter how hard things are for you. Jesus full-time ministry now because he has the ear of the Father is to plead his blood for you to say strengthen my sister strengthen her don't let her faith fail I'm pleading my blood on her behalf strengthen my brother I know he's disappointed I know he's discouraged I know he wants to give up Father have mercy on him Spirit, help him. This is where Jesus is at this moment, praying for us. Now under the second scene, this stained glass pane, the second scene is John 20 with Mary and Jesus. Mary's got a, a death grip, I think, on, on his ankle. Under... This scene is a picture of Abel's acceptable sacrifice to God from Genesis 4.4. Remember, Cain offered a sacrifice that was not pleasing to the Lord, and Cain got angry about it. And the Lord said to him, Why are you angry? If you do what is right, that will be pleasing to me. Abel offered a sacrifice that was pleasing to God in that context. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice which was accepted by God for the sins of his people, including yours and including mine. In other words, Jesus has just offered his own life as a perfect sacrifice, completely acceptable to God. The Father, through the Spirit, then vindicated the sacrifice of Jesus by raising him from the dead. But Jesus has not yet ascended to be fully accepted, to be welcomed, to be embraced by his Father back into the glory of heaven yet. We know God accepted the sacrifice because he raised Jesus from the dead. But Jesus will not allow Mary to embrace him until he has first been embraced by his Father in heaven. When Jesus is fully vindicated by the welcoming embrace of his Father, as he represents us, then the fullness of the vindication of the Father's honor will be restored, and the fullness of relationship with the Father will be reconciled for us, for every person who puts their faith in Jesus. 
the words of Jesus to Mary are stunning. I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Know that Jesus was received with the full embrace of the Father as he represented us. The welcoming embrace of the father and the prodigal son was nothing compared to the embrace that Jesus received by the father when he went back to glory representing us. Therefore, what Jesus said to Mary is now as fully true for us as it is for Jesus himself. We are as welcomed in Christ as Christ is welcomed by the Father. Let's turn back to Ephesians chapter 2 because I don't want you to take my word for it. Here, here's the statement. What Jesus said to Mary is now as fully true for us as it is for Jesus himself. How can that possibly be true? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I wanted you to see it in the word because I don't want you to think I'm making this up. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places for the express purpose that God can shower us with the kindness of his mercy and grace forever. That's the point. Jesus has gone ahead of us to experience the full embrace of his father and of our Father through adoption. He's gone ahead of us to experience the full brace, embrace of his God and of our God through atonement. Without the ascension of Jesus, the gospel itself would not be good news. But praise God, because of the ascension, the gospel is the greatest news imaginable. Praise be to our incomparable and praise be to our invincible God. So transitioning then, consider how these, these three ideas come together as we prepare for communion. In Exodus 24, so we're still over at this mountain, the 70 elders representing the people of Israel eat and drink as they behold God. How is that possible? It's possible because of the fact that they had a mediator. But just see the, see the foreshadowing. 
toward the New Testament when we have a perfect and an ultimate mediator. The sacrifice made on their behalf in Exodus 24, 5 is called the burnt offering. Picture the smoke rising to God. It can be translated ascension offering. The imagery is of of smoke ascending to God. It is the sacrifice for going up to God. This sacrifice does not simply deal with sin, but deals with sin so that we can ascend into the presence of God. In communion, former enemies of the King of Kings enjoy a a fellowship meal together. That can happen because the wrath of the king was appeased against his enemies through the atoning work of the king's son, who is the high priest and the prince of peace. Because these former enemies are now in the son, say it more strongly, let's say it with the Ephesians 2 language, we're now seated with the son in the presence of the father. Because of this, they experience more than just just hospitality from the king. This isn't the king being kind and offering food because people may be hungry. The former enemies now experience the full embrace of an eternally loving father. For in Christ Jesus, the former enemies have now become family, sons and daughters of the king. This is the good news of the gospel that we celebrate in communion, made possible by the glorious ascension of our Lord into glory. So let us rejoice this morning as we take communion together. My hope is that your heart is filled with joy and Complete confidence that your sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. That your seat at this table was purchased by the blood of Jesus. In fact, your seat is the seat of Jesus at this table. At the right hand of the Father. So that we might enjoy fellowship with him as sons and daughters. Let's pray. Father, would you lead us by your spirit now? Spirit, would you, would you bring to mind any areas in our hearts or lives where, that we need to confess as sin? And I pray that you would give us such a sense of confidence in the gospel that we would be brokenhearted because of the offense that our sin is to you, but that we would, we would confess, confess these sins eagerly so that we might have them bathed in the, the grace of your presence and the atoning blood of Jesus who is praying for us at this very moment. And so I pray, Spirit, that you would cause us now to receive this fellowship meal and all that it represents with hearts filled with joy and confidence in the blood of the Son to atone for our sin. 
And we ask these things in his name. Amen.